The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, Ecclesia, last week, I had the honor of preaching at our Westside campus on Ascension. And the story of Ascension is when Jesus ascends into heaven. And then there's this waiting period that happens where the disciples and people are waiting for the Holy Spirit to descend on the people. And that happens on this holy day that is today on the Christian calendar, and we call that day Pentecost. And so today we are gonna read the entire um, story of Pentecost in Acts 2. I'm gonna warn you, it is a lot of reading, but I have this theory, and I always stick to it, the Bible always preaches better than I can. And uh, I tried to edit something out and it just didn't work. We have to read it all. So we're gonna read Acts 2, verses one through 22 together. Um, Actually, before we do that, I have to inform you of this little game we're gonna play today. You and I. Um, I have had the past couple weeks, I'm not sick, I feel great, but I have these random coughing spells where I can't stop coughing. And if that happens while I'm up here, I think there's about a 10% chance of it happening. If it happens, we are gonna assume that is the Holy Spirit intervening on Pentecost. I am coughing in tongues. And we are going to, for one minute, turn to a partner and reflect on this deep question. What would a Pentecost miracle look like in my family today? It could be as simple as we all get along, or the laundry does itself. I don't know what your Pentecost miracle is, but if this hypothetical coughing attack occurs, that's our plan, okay? But back into the scripture, starting in Acts 2, we read, when the holy day of Pentecost came 50 days after Passover, they were gathered together in one place. Picture yourself among the disciples, A sound roars from the sky without warning. The roar of a violent wind and the whole house where you are gathered reverberates with the sound. Then a flame appears, dividing into smaller flames and spreading from one person to the next. All the people present are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin speaking in languages they've never spoken as the Spirit empowers them. So up until this point in the story, a lot happens. And in fact, what we just read is really the famous part of this story. If you Google Pentecost artwork, you can see centuries of um, depictions of how people describe this scene. It's a dramatic scene. People are speaking in different languages and they're understanding each other and there's a fireball that divides among people. Here's one piece of artwork from Jen Norton that I thought was beautiful. It's this ball of fire being splitted amongst the disciples. There's another piece of artwork and it's by Sarah Hornsby called Mother Mary of Pentecost. And you can see her crown of flames and in her hands, she's holding a ball And in that ball is actually the 12 disciples with flames above their heads. 
And finally, this one is, prepare yourselves, this one is really beautiful. It is, oh, that's Harry from Home Alone experiencing his version of Pentecost. But the point is, this part of scripture is really famous, really famous in the Christian art world. Acts 2 continues, and it reads, because of the Holy Spirit, there are devout Jews staying as pilgrims in Jerusalem from every nation under the sun. They hear the sound and a crowd gathers. They are amazed because each of them can hear the group speaking in their native languages. They are shocked and amazed by this. Now this is important, they're speaking in their native languages. I think um, there are references in the Bible and Corinthians where uh, we think of speaking in tongues as just kind of this gibberish, but in this story, it's not necessarily speaking in tongues, they're speaking in many different languages. And what's happening is their people, the hearers of these languages are able to understand and translate in their own. The pilgrims say, just a minute, aren't all of these people Galileans? How in the world do we all hear our native language being spoken? Look, there are Parthians here and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamians and Judeans, residents of Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. There are Phrygians and Pamphylians, Egyptians and Libyans from Cyrene. There are Romans, including both Jews by birth and converts. There are Cretans and Arabs. We're each, in our own languages, hearing these people talk about God's powerful deeds. Their amazement becomes confusion as they wonder, what does this mean? Now here's the part where the skeptics come in. And if you've read the gospel, you know that there's almost always a group of skeptics. And even while they're witnessing the miracle, they're denying its truth. And when I read the Bible, I often look at these skeptics and I kind of shake my head. But if I'm being honest, I think I'm often a skeptic too. And in this situation, I think I would have been a little skeptical, like what is going on? Is this really a miracle? So the skeptics say, this doesn't mean anything. They're all drunk on some fresh wine. As the 12 stood together, Peter shouted to the crowd. And this is where Peter gives this kind of famous mini sermon from Joel. He says, men of Judea and all who are staying here in Jerusalem, listen. I want you to understand these people aren't drunk as you may think. Look, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this isn't drunkenness. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. Hear what God says. And then Peter goes into this little sermon, really repeating from Joel verses 228 through 32. And he recites his holy scripture. He says, in the last days, I will offer my spirit to humanity as libation. Your children will boldly speak the word of the Lord. Your warriors will see visions and your elders will dream dreams. Yes, in those days I shall offer my spirit to all servants, both male and female, and they will boldly speak my word. 
Now this little sermon is so important because who does Peter include as participating in this miracle? All, literally everyone, right? He says, warriors, elders, children, men, women, servants. Everyone has the ability to tap into this Holy Spirit. I don't care who you are. It's what scripture says in Joel and it's what Peter says in this moment. And he ends, he says, and in heaven above and on earth below, I shall give signs of impeding judgment, blood, fire, and clouds of smoke. The sun will become a void of darkness and the moon will become blood. Then the great and dreadful day the Lord will arrive and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be liberated into God's freedom of peace. Again, it's that language, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be liberated into peace. And so I think there's a lot we can take from this Pentecost story today on Pentecost. One thing that I think this story offers us is that this story invites us to imagine a new world and what is possible for the church. You know, Pentecost is often thought of as the Christian church's birthday. It's when the Holy Spirit descended on the people and they were able to gather and, and collectively contribute to what would become the Christian church. But we need this miracle of Pentecost to imagine what's possible for the Christian church. And the truth is, in our own lives, we need an imagination and an example of what is possible for us to be able to make that a reality. Um, I turned 35 last week, and my fifth grade teacher wrote on my Facebook wall, Mrs. Frank, I loved Mrs. Frank. Um, she wrote on my Facebook wall, she said, happy birthday, Erica. I'll never forget when you were in fifth grade, you always talked about being a preacher and in the WNBA. <laughs> and I'm not, I never became a WNBA star. You don't look surprised. <laughs> but what Miss Frank doesn't know is that my parents were big Packer fans. And there was this Packers player, Reggie White, who was both a NFL football player and an ordained pastor. And I thought, clearly if Reggie White can do that, I can do this. That's what happens, it takes an example, an imagination for us to expand our ideas of what's possible. And that's what the miracle of Pentecost does for the Christian church. Even if that ideal doesn't become a reality, it's aspirational for us to have this miracle in scripture of what could be if we were to live perfectly as a church. We went to the moon and it expanded our idea of what was possible for humanity. In 1954, Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile record. So that was the first time someone had, read, had run a mile in under four minutes. What do you think happened after he broke that record? All kinds of people started running under four minute miles. In fact, two minutes late, or two minutes, two months later, two other people broke the four minute mile. 
And now, running a sub four minute mile is pretty much standard among middle distance professional runners. They all do it. It took one person for us to believe it was possible. The second thing I think that this story does is it's this, this story is about a miracle that requires community. You know, in the Bible, sometimes miracles happen to individuals. But the story of the Christian church and Pentecost happened to a community. In fact, if you were at home right now, alone, and all of a sudden you could understand multiple languages and multiple people, that wouldn't even be a miracle because you would never know that. This miracle required a community to become realized. 12-step recovery programs work. They don't know exactly why, but one of the theories is that when you combine the Holy Spirit or a higher power with a community of people, that it helps people feel less isolated in the disease of addiction. Bruce Alexander, a kind of controversial and famous addiction researcher, he says that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. Although sobriety is an outcome of recovery, the opposite of addiction is connection. We were made to live in a community, to connect. A professor at Harvard Medical School, Robert Waldinger, found in his research that loneliness kills and it is as powerful as smoking and alcoholism when it comes to life expectancy. Now I can feel my introverts hating on me right now. I'm not saying that everyone was made to be a social butterfly and that we need to be socializing all the time. That's not what the story of Pentecost is about. But it is about a story and a miracle that requires a community. Matthew 18:20 says that for when two or three gather together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Anytime we gather and agree that the Holy Spirit is present, it is true. Finally, the third thing I think we can take from this story is this story celebrates differences while uniting the church under a shared vision and spirit. What I like about this story is um, God did not make them all speak the same language. Like whatever the dominant language was, everyone didn't just speak that. That would have been a cool miracle, but that's not what God did. God affirmed the differences between communities while transcending the barriers of understanding between them. Pastor Chris has done this sermon at Ecclesia called Unity in Diversity. It's not the um, denial that differences are there because they are. It's the celebration and the transcendence of the boundaries that divide people, that makes this Pentecost miracle so miraculous. In college, um, I went to the University of Wisconsin for my undergrad. And when I was a senior, it was brought to my attention that I still needed eight foreign language credits. And uh, it's a big university, 
And they had just started this new language program, and that was that you could learn Yoruba. And Yoruba is a language spoken in West Africa, primarily southwestern and central Nigeria. And naturally, I thought, well, I took Spanish in high school. I'll take Yoruba. So I learned this Nigerian language in college. And if you've ever learned a language in school, I don't really know your experience, but about two years later, all you know are like 10 sentences. But this thing happens is that every once in a while, I'll come across someone who has a Yoruban name. And I'll get really excited. And it's not, it's kind of a more rare language. Not a lot of people know it. So I was once at Wells Fargo and um, the guy's name was Ige. And I thought, oh, that's a Yoruban name. And so I took a chance and I started speaking Yoruba to him. And he turned around and he could not believe it. And we held each other's hands and we jumped up and down <laughs> at Wells Fargo. Something happens when we feel seen and understood. I was once in a cab in Chicago and the cab driver had a Yoruban name. And my husband was with me and he said, please don't do it, please don't. And I was like, I literally have to. He's always afraid I'm gonna be wrong and then it's gonna get really awkward. And so I, I told him, um, you know in those foreign language classes, you pick a name? So my Yoruban name I picked was Titi Layo. And you learn that on a Do-Re-Mi scale. So it's a beautiful tonal language. It's in three different tones. And it's Mi Mi Re Do, Titi Layo. So I said, Orgo Mini Titi Layo, Ba Wuni, Sheala Fiani, Ile Unko. And he turns around and we start screaming. <laughs> My husband is like, you are so weird. <laughs> but it feels like a miracle of Pentecost. Like for a moment, we get to experience this joy. And here's the thing. I don't exist in spaces where I don't feel understood and not seen. The language I speak is usually the one being spoken in the room. And that's not the case. And Pentecost reminds us that they're, all the languages and cultures that have been on the margins, they aren't erased by the dominant culture, but they are lifted up and celebrated and united in this moment. I served on the advisory board for four years at the Houston Young Center. And the Young Center helps unaccompanied minors um, at the border and pairs them with legal counsel and advocacy. And the Young Center prides itself in really putting a child's best interest on the line, whether that is returning to home country or finding a safe uh, space here in America. And I once went to the courtroom and they were um, doing a legal case for an entire shelter of young children from Guatemala. And I sat there as an advocate, although to be honest, I didn't do much. And all these little children, unaccompanied, were trying to understand 
this really complicated legal advice in another language. And then when we did get some um, Spanish-speaking translators in the room, it turns out there are many indigenous language in indigenous languages. And um, we couldn't find the right translator for the right people, and different children needed different translations. And meanwhile, the Catholic charities had teamed up with these children to fill out this thick packet of paperwork for their legal cases. And it was so complicated. And I didn't know the solution, but what I did know is that if there was a Pentecost miracle, we could have used it in that courtroom. We need to find ways to connect and unite and understand and see each other. And I'm not sure it's perfect like a Pentecost miracle, but I believe the aspects of Pentecost can be living today in our church, as I know they are. Finally, um, my last little story, a really example today. I thought of my friend Mia Menz as I was writing this sermon. I have a picture of Mia. Um, when I showed her this picture, she said, why did you Photoshop me? I said, I didn't. That's from your LinkedIn profile, Mia. <laughs> You're just beautiful. Um, Mia is a hilarious friend, an amazing person. Um, at the age of eight, she immigrated or really fled Ghana. Her family packed up a couple suitcases. They brought the three girls to the UK. They eventually made it to the US and um, Mia ended up graduating from Wellesley College and she went on to do her MBA at Harvard Business School. Now she's a successful businesswoman. She leads global companies around the nation and regions. And the reason I thought of Mia for this sermon was not because of what I just told you, but because in 2012, Mia was asked if she wanted to pack up her two kids and her husband and moved to Brazil to lead a regional team. And the barrier was gonna be that they didn't speak English. It was gonna be in Spanish and Portuguese. And Mia said yes. Now, if that invite came to me, I would be like, hard no, right? But Mia felt the spirit in her and she decided to say yes to this invitation for this new opportunity. And so for two years, she led a team in a language that she was a beginner at. And as I was texting with Mia about using her in this sermon, this is what she texted me back. And I'm just gonna read her text message to you. She said, I love this theme. I'm so sensitized now to my privilege of being an articulate English speaker. People often associate language ability with intellect. This destroyed my self-confidence when I was in Latin America. I was leading a region I could not easily converse with my team or clients in Spanish or Portuguese for more than a year. That experience will change you. It did me for the better. I'm more empathetic because of it, and I work harder to really know and see people now. Ecclesia, the story of Pentecost is about working hard to know and see people. 
It's about not erasing our differences, but acknowledging them and working for understanding in the middle of them. I don't always know what Jesus would do. Any of you in the 90s wear those WWJD bracelets? It's like the, the bigger the arm sleeve of WWJD bracelets, the better Christian you were. Or you just needed more reminders, so maybe the worst Christian you were. But I remember my WWJD bracelet, and I think it's an almost impossible question at times. What would Jesus do? I know when I answer it to myself, if I'm being honest, it's not what I'm doing, that's for sure. When I'm at a stoplight late at night and a man knocks on my window for money and I think, what would Jesus do? I think, I don't know, probably take them home. I don't know that I should do that right now. Or maybe Jesus would turn the car to a loaf of bread. I don't know, I'm not Jesus. But Jesus sets this impossible example for us to follow imperfectly in our little human bodies. I think it's a hard question to know what would Jesus do. But here's what I do know. I know that the Holy Spirit is doing work in our community today. I know that every time we go to the Venezuelan border, when we respond to an earthquake, when we feed the unhoused in our community and city, we are living the story of Pentecost. Every time we gather with two or more people and read this scripture together, we are doing the story of Pentecost. And so just by being here today, we are living this ancient Christian tradition that we are so beautifully invited to participate in. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.